Hi, this is Sammy. And I'm NUL. And we are Sammy and NUL discuss true crime. So if you remember last week, we did Angela Samato. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, now she was, she had a gruesome death um, and very tragic. But what if we go into a little more of a gruesome death with a lot of craziness to add it to it, you know? Um, now, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Joel Rifkin, also known as Joel the Ripper. Um, which I'm not exactly sure on how he gets the name The Ripper, um, but you'll find out. You can also give us your opinion on why he was called that. Um, but before we jump into the story, I just wanna also say as a disclaimer, these are our opinion. Um, these are the facts that we found from the web, from, and a book I was reading um, about his life story. Um, and so these are just facts that we have gotten and obtained. And then we're gonna go and give our opinion on the matter. So if you have feel any kind of issues or complex of anything, um, please do not share your negativity, your negativity um, to us as we are only doing this as we are giving opinions and these are our, it's our hobby. We like to do this. Um, so jumping right into the story. So Joel was born on January the 20th of 1959. Now his biological parents put him up for adoption at only three weeks of age. Um, he was then adopted by the Rifkins, um, who three years later adopted another baby girl named Jane. So let's bring it up a little more quicker. 1965, the Rifkins moved to East Meadow, okay, Long Island, where this would become Joel's, you know, home. Um, as he was growing up, he was considered to be a brainy child, but who was not quite fitting in with the other kids. Um, of his age. Um, he liked photography and he liked doing handcraft with his mom. Now, despite having an IQ of 128, um, he did poor in school. So that's weird. That I'm sorry. Weird. That's weird. 128. Yeah. So here's the thing though. He also suffered from dyslexia. So that can make schooling difficult on its own, right there on its own. But what made school more not wanting to be part of his regimen of routinely, you know, things to do and do it correctly was the fact that he was being teased or bullied, however you want to put it, um, in school. Um, so they would call him turtle. They would mimic his slouch. Um, he had this like slow, lazy day kind of pace of walking and they would mimic it. Um, they would always, you know, put him as the butt of every cruelest joke you can ever do. Um, 
Now for his senior year, this is how ambitious this kid was when it comes to photography. For his senior year, he was part of the yearbook staff. Um, even with his camera stolen, he still made sure to get the yearbook done by the deadline. Um, and I know like he had, he would try to ask girls out, but because he was teased so much, that didn't work out um, in high school. Like he would ask a girl out and um, the bullies would go and I think they, they were throwing things at him where he hid in the, they threw eggs at him and he hid into the locker room um, and had to have his dad come pick him up. Now, another time he went on a date, they made it to the, the pizza parlor and then that's when the bullies saw him and they decided to chase him and his girlfriend down. Um, and well, not girlfriend, but his date down to the library. Um, well, they lost, they lost the, the bullies at the library. And yeah, her answer to the fact of the date was, he's very sweet, but very depressing. So yeah. it's not really much of wanting to date somebody. Um, and it kind of made hard with, you know, having your date, having to, you know, say, let me bring some sneakers next time we go on a date, you know? Right. So wow. now you remember I said how he made sure that the yearbook was on time. Right. Now, so at the end of the year, the yearbook committee held like a, a year end wrap up of all the work they did. Um, can you believe they did not invite that poor child? They did. He they did not invite him. They excluded him from it, which made him feel extremely hurt. Um, yeah. Now, this of me saying that he was he felt extremely hurt. This was from his mother's point of view. She said he was hurt by it, especially after all the work he had put. Right. Um. So with that, you know, sadly, yeah. <laughs> um, so he actually graduated from high school at, in the year of 77. Um, he was actually the, had the lowest grades, one of the lowest grades in graduating. Um, his parents, as a reward though, for passing high school um, and doing as much work as he could with the yearbook, they gave him a car as a compensation for everything, which he will later on use to pick up prostitutes with. Just saying. This wow. is what ends up being. Um, so he ends up going, um, he also sees this movie. Now, everything leads down to this movie that he saw. And I didn't get a chance to watch it, but it was a movie called The Frenzy by Alfred Hitch Hitchcock. Um, yes. Now, once he saw this movie, he began having daydreams of raping and stabbing women. He became fixated with the strangling of prostitutes from which he saw from the movie, which is kind of like sort of based off um, the London Jack the Ripper story. Um, wow. So, yeah, so he's having all this, you know, thoughts in his head. He's depressed from being bullied in school, just to kind of like get you guys all up into like um, 
a mental um, program for him, of what his head's going through. He's depressed from going through what he went through in school when he was from younger till you know high school. He sees this movie. It's kind of giving him this erotic moment where he's seeing you know all this the strangling of prostitutes and everything like that. Um, so he does try to keep the normal life and keep his daydreams and his well his fantasies on the wrap and try to live normal so he goes to college but unfortunately that is not meant for him either you know like he is in and out of it he did however when he did attend the state university at Brockport he did work as a photographer um for the school newspaper the stylus stylus um so but unfortunately he wasn't attending all the classes because he was actually going and trying to pick up prostitutes instead and daydreaming and he was just not in the right state of mind my personal opinion um so from time to time he would have jobs where he would go and not really stick to it you know either he had poor hygiene or he wouldn't show up or he did very lack of work um so his worth worth ethic was not great either um so because of not being able to keep a job he most of the time had to live with his parents which is a sad point like i get it when you gotta you know you're moving from house to house or you know something happened and you need you need to stay at your folks house for a little bit but then you can right. put back up um so he was having difficulty with just doing that um wow. so yeah it, it was like oh my geez um so this is the reason um he had major the majority to do um okay so with the fact that how do i put this so I had this all figured out. Um, so here's the thing. The reason why he couldn't keep um, like his own apartment was because of the fact that most of his money was going into his nightly routine of picking up prostitutes. Wow, okay. So any money he made basically went to them. And mm -hmm. How can you pay your bills if you're spending it on, you know, yeah. type of activity? Yeah. Um, he, like I said, he did have one relationship as he also grew, got older, which she stated the same thing. You know, he's a very nice guy, but he's just so depressing. You know, right. um, and I don't mean to sound funny when I when I say it that way, but you, as a girl, I can I can imagine her talking to her friends saying. Oh my God, he's yeah. a sweet guy. You know, he I, he could be an awesome boyfriend, but he's just so bleh, depressing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can Makes see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now here's the thing. In 87, um, Rifkin's dad <coughs> commit suicide because of the fact he was diagnosed. Um, a couple months earlier from his suicide with um, 
cancer. Now he couldn't cope with the pain as the pain was progressing. Um, so he figured he's gonna end the suffering himself. He's not gonna wait for the cancer to get to him. He's just gonna end it. So he did. So this basically took Joel down the worst whirlpool you can ever go down. Um, he did give him very awesome uh, eulogy for his dad at the funeral. At the funeral, um, but this is what made his obsession um, come to realization. Now, so like I said, after the dad's death, his life went down. Um, he became obsessed with the violence with murder and the prostitutes. So he was so fixated on this stuff. He eventually got arrested in August 22nd of 1987 for soliciting a prostitute. Now this was an undercover cop that he solicited. Um, and this was in Hempstead, Long Island. But for some reason, and I don't know how he did this, no one of his family members knew about this, which I'm like, how, yeah, how do you get arrested and your family doesn't know that this, this is what you did, you know? Right. Um, so uh, not really kudos to him and keeping that on the download, but I guess in a way, if you didn't want your parents knowing or your mom knowing that, you know, you were doing this kind of activity, I guess then Please tell some people how to, you know, keep that on the wraps then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's jump ahead. Um, so his mom ends up having to book, um, I think it was like a business trip um, in March of 1989. And he figured, well, while mom's not home, the mice will play. Right. So as his mother went to travel out of the state, leaving Joe alone in, in the um, East Middle House, he decides to cruise Manhattan East Village. So I think that's what, probably like maybe an hour drive. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, for hookers um, on this very faithful night, and around 10 p.m., he selected a young woman who he only can remember her name as Susie. Yeah. She had a hardcore drug addiction. Um, she demanded several stops to purchase crack before they drove back to Long Island after um, listless. Um, basically, she didn't want to have sex. She wasn't up for it, you know, but she was like, you gotta, you gotta pay me, you know. Uh, then she goes and asks him again to take her out in search for drugs. So instead, he picked up, a, it says a souvenir holzer shell which I'm not exactly sure what that precisely is, but either way, he decided to start beating her with it like crazy, crazy. 
Um, he states that he lost control um, and he had, he stopped when he got tired, but she was still alive. So she went back and when he tried to move her, she bit one of his fingers bad um, before he decided just to strangle her to death. Um, after wrestling her body into a plastic trash bag, Rifkin cleaned up the blood and signs of the combat in his living room. So he made sure to clean up the area, you know, that way Mommy Darius doesn't know. I didn't mean to call her Mommy Darius. I'm sorry, but yeah. Yeah. it's a fate. It's a I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it's just, it's, it's insane. Like, it's insane. Yeah, absolutely. I can't. Then um, he laid down and slept for several hours. So I guess after beating her and strangling her and then having to, you know, pick up the, the area, um, he got tired and he went to sleep. But he, he did everything like if it was nothing, like this was nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, so once he woke up, he dragged Susie down to the basement, draped her body across the wash and dryer, then used um, a, makesh a makeshift operating table to dismember her corpse. Um, he used, they call it an ex-acto knife. Um, so I'm not exactly sure on how this knife completely looks. Um, but I do. you do? It's, it's really, yeah, it's really like an um, arts and crafts um, knife. It has one single blade, but it's super sharp. The only reason I know that when I worked in Walmart in the photo lab, I had to use it. And I cut a, I cut a piece of my finger off. You know, not a lot. It's very sharp, super super sharp. Ooh, okay. So I understand why he took that then. Right. Dismember. Um, mm -hmm. So in his mind, the grim task was reduced to biology class. So I guess he's comparing her to when you dissect a frog. Right. Um. So, and then to foil her identification, so that way they couldn't identify her, Rifkin, he basically cut off her fingertips. He pulled her teeth with pliers. Then he jammed her head. Okay, because he dismembered her head. He, well, he decapitated her head. Um, and then he stuffed it into an old paint can. Um, the other part, went her other parts went to the garbage bags and then into his mother's car so this dude is doing up is pretty busy um so rifkin drove the body parts across the state line to new jersey okay so he was in that part he was smart he took away what can identify her and he, he's basically going across state line to another state and gonna, dis and gonna dispose of her body there. Okay. So he dropped the head and the legs into the woods near Hopewell. He doubled back from there 
he returned to Manhattan, pitching the arms and the torso into the East River. So he's throwing her body all over the place. So that way you can't figure out, you know, who she is. Okay. Um, then he believed that his victim would never be found because of the way he disposed of everything. But on contraire, he was careless in his matter of doing this. So on March 5th, 1989, a member of the Hopewell Valley Golf Club sliced his balls into the wood. So I'm guessing when he was swinging, it shot over to the woods. Mm-hmm. Because when I first heard, I was like, I'm about to be a, like a 12 years old kid right now and start giggling. Yeah. So, and it says it was along the seventh green, which I don't play golf. So I'm like, okay, cool beans. Yeah. Um, so then that dude, this young guy, found the container that had Susie's head in it. Um, so he ended up, Rifkin ended up suffering a major anxiety attack after learning that Susie, listen to this, Susie was HIV positive. Now remember, she bit his finger and they kind of starting to have a sexual thing, but then it was like, no. But remember, back in that time, People thought that HIV was passed through sex, saliva, okay, and using needles. Now, saliva, hello, she bit him. Whether they had sex or not, we don't actually know. Um, But she did bite him, which the saliva penetrated into his skin. So he's panicking. He's like, oh, no, I can have this now, you know? Um. So following that case, as, a, as the police prepared, artists is rendering for the victim of the victim's life and check um, them against a list of 700 missing women. So when they found her, they decided to make a drawing of her and compare it to 700. Now, I don't get it. How do you have 700 women missing? And be like, That's a lot of women. Yeah. you know that's a, lot, that's a lot of women it is um but sadly Susie was never identified and her case remains remained unsolved until Rifkin later will confess to her murder um and he would actually be the one that named her Susie because one that's all he can remember her of her name was in Susie. Um, but before that, before he mentioned anything, she was just an unknown woman, you know? Um, so now he didn't kill for a while. Um, it took him about like 14 months later from Susie's death to go and kill his next victim. So his next victim was in the late 1990s. Um, And her name was Julie Blackbird. So he selected her because 
she kind of had that Madonna look going on. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys are that young, um, our lovely listeners, but if you look up Madonna in the 1990s, you'll see how she looked. And Julie, Julie kind of had that resemblance of Madonna. So Rifkin drove her to East Meadow when his mother was again out of town. So like most teenagers, when mom's not home, they're going to go play. Um, And then he spent, they spent the night together. But at nine the next morning, Rifkin recalled being completely bugging out. Like he was just losing it. Um, So he decided he was going to beat Blackbird with the heavy table leg before he strangled her. So this is starting to become a thing with him where he's now beating and strangling. Um, Now it's unknown if this, the strangling was like how he got off or what, but either way, this became like a routine for him. So heavy hearted now. So when she was dead, he considered raping her corpse and in conscience, um, emulate, uh, can't talk today, emulation um, of the serial killer Ted Bundy. So remember, Ted Bundy, he did a thing where he would sometimes rape after the, the pursuit. Yeah. But that idea kind of made him be like, can't do it. Not me, you know? So he was determined not to, you know, bulge the his disposal time. So instead of taking his, you know, like be erratic uh, when it comes to disposing of her, he went out to purchase concrete. Um, he bur- purchased um, a large motor pan, motor pan. Um, he dismembered the corpse. Um, like how he did before. So what he did to Susie, he did it to Julie. Um, and then he placed her head, hmm, placing her head, her arms, her legs in buckets, weighed down with concrete. Okay. So then he filled the torso. The, well, actually, the torso was filled in a milk crate by itself. Um, And then he drove into Manhattan and he basically sent her head and her torso into the river. river. Then he dropped her weighted arms and legs into a Brooklyn barge canal. Um, And then the remains, but this, her remains were not found. So they later knew about Blackbird's fate only because Rifkin confessed and from her diary that he had stashed in his bed. So he kept uh, kept her diary as a souvenir um, after the murder. So that was how it was proved that he did murder her and that this this actually happened. So. Let's skip over to another year. 
So he decides that Barbara Jacobs was going to be the next one to die. And this fate was, um, was I, I, it, just, it just feels weird. You know, like, how do you do this, dude? Um, but a little backstory about Miss Barbara. She was actually arrested previous on auto theft and prostitution. Okay, which does not make her less of a person. I just wanted you to know kind of like a, a backstory about her. I don't have like the full details. I just know that she was 31 years old and sadly she was a gen addiction and that was what was on her police record. So on July 13th, 1991, um, he took her to his house um, in East Meadow for sex. Well, he, he took her, her home to East Meadow for sex. When she fell asleep, he clubbed her with the same table, table leg that he used for Julie. Oh, wow. Um, and then finished the job by manually strangling her. Um, then he put, he put off the thought of another dismemberment. He wasn't really that quick with it anymore. Um, so Rifkin decided to wrap up her body in plastic, folded her into a cupboard box, and placed her in the back of his mom's Toyota pickup. He drove to the Hudson River, dropped her into the water near the, the cement plant, um, and she was found hours later by firefighters on a training exercise. Um, wow. At this time, Rifkin report, had reported that um, it didn't even face him. Like, this is not, you know, them finding the body didn't make him nervous, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the coroner blamed her death on a drug overdose. And Jacob was buried in the Pottersfield cemetery unidentified until Rifkin finally confessed um, when he got arrested of her murder. So what? sadly, like that, that's, she, I think she had it a little bit easier um, than the, either the first two. Right. But either way, murder is murder and it's never a good situation. Sure. Now let's go to number four. Oh, did I tell you that he had seven? He killed seventeen females that we know of. Just a little of reason why I'm saying numbers. So on September first, nineteen ninety one, he meets a twenty two years old Long Island native named Mary Ellen DeLuca. So they, she was last seen alive at eleven p.m. Um, when she left a group of friends um, to, um, after winning a prize, and she left to go get a, her fix. So Rifkin found her on Jamaica Avenue in Queens, and he drove her around New York until sunrise, shelling out $150 for drugs at various stops. So, like, he's already spent 150 on her, you know, just to try to get her where she has had her fixed. You know, she's good, right? Okay. 
Nope. They wandered up at a cheap motel, but DeLuca first blankly, she was like, mm, I don't want to have sex. Let, let's go drive around more. Um, I want to get higher, you know? Um, so, oh my eyes. So then they rush. So she he basically like, no, you know, we're gonna do this. I'm, I'm, no, we're doing this. So he rushed through the act. Um, and she was complaining the whole time, you know, about it, which at one point, Rifkin asked DeLuca if she wanted to die. Now he says that she said yes. So he strangled her and recalled she did nothing. She just accepted it. Like she laid down and took him strangling her and taking her life out. Um, so he remembered her murder as one of the weird ones that if it was almost like Rifkin, it was it was weird. It was it was like you're not fighting me, you're not putting up, you know, a want. Um, so he found himself a new problem though. Um, afraid to drag her body out in broad daylight. Remember, they were driving all night getting her fixed. Um, right. he decided to go back to the memory of that movie, The Frenzy, and mm -hmm. he went out and purchased a a cheap, you know, sting trunk um, and squeezed DeLuca's body inside of it. Wow. So he took her from the hotel and he drove upstate to Orange County and left DeLuca's body at a rest stop outside of Cornwall near West Point. Now, if anybody knows about West Point, that is a military base. Um, so she was found on October 1st, nude except for uh, a Brazil, her bra on. Mm -hmm. um, she had no identification and the decomposition made it so impossible to determine what her cause of death was. So she was also buried unnamed until she was identified by Rifkin as someone he had murdered. So September 1991, Yung, Yung Lee. Um, so on September night, he picked up the 31 years old Yung Lee, a Korean native he had been with before. So he's, you know, gone out with her before. And just so we have a reference, not every prostitute that he had um, picked up during these times um, were killed. Um, very few were killed. I don't know how he made his method of which ones were just going to be his se uh, sex object and which ones was going to be his fantasy object. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So she was actually his second prostitute that day. Um, so which it was why he couldn't perform, you know? Um, 
So Lee, Lee was trying to, you know, get him to go. He couldn't because remember, second one. Um, so he he struck her on impulse, strangling her while she muttered something about a big mistake. So she told him he's making a big mistake and he just kept strangling her. Um, it was Rifkin's first murder of someone he knew beforehand. So he knew her. Um, and when he experienced, so he was her, he experienced remorse. He actually later says that he says, I thought I liked her. So he was having feelings for her, but yet still able to do that. Very confusing. So he wedged her into a small trunk that he had used similar to Mary DeLuca. And he dropped her in the East River. She was found on September 23rd, eight days before DeLuca's body floated um, past Randall's Island. Well, oh, all right, so eight days prior to Luca's body was found, and she was floating past Randall's Island um, at the Harlem River's mouth. So in that vicinity. So here's the thing. Lee's ex-husband was able to identify her body, so he spared her from being an unmarked grave as well. So then around Christmas time in 1991, um, we don't have the name for victim number six. So, but what Rick, what he can recall was it was a few days shy from Christmas. He picked her up at West 46th Street in Manhattan and strangled her in his car during oral sex. Um, describing the event as very quick, um, Afterward, he drove back to Long Island with the body slumped behind, beside him. So making it look like she was kind of like sleeping, I guess, like on him. Um, concealing, then um, concealing her under a tarp at his rented workplace. So during this time, he did rent out a space so he can do his, his um, entrepreneurial of landscaping. Um, so yeah, so he decided at one point to make his own little business because it would provide him with a spot to do this instead of going always back home to you know work on his murder. Um, so he decided to work from there. So th this dude is just like, what the French, you know? Um, next, he would drive, he drove, to a recycling plant in Westbury where he had once worked part-time. So he helped himself to a 55 gallon drum, oil drum. Um, and there he had enough space for John, for victim number six in the barrel, safely hiding from, for their ride to South Bronx. So, Rifkin found a district rift with the junkyards and rolled her into the East River. But when he was about to leave, he was conf now this is this is where it gets like, what the French? Why? Why? This could have been done. 
Scooby stopped. So he was confronted by a patrolman who accused him of illegally dumping. Um, but listen to what he did. He told them, no, I'm just looking for garbage. I'm just looking for, you know. Yeah. So, so they let him go saying, well, you know what, just in case, don't dump here. It's not permitted. And he went on. And it's like, what? What? Really? So then, December 26, 1991, he used the same kind of oil drum for his next victim, just a heads up. Um, so her name was Lorraine Orvieto. Now, if I'm saying her name wrong, forgive me. Um, but she was 28 years old. Um, and she was a manic depressive person. Um, so she, she would control her mood swings with Coke. Um, I don't think that's the smartest idea to do, but I, I guess if you can't afford a doctor, um, that might be the next best thing in your manic brain to do. Yeah. I'm not making jokes about her. I'm just trying to understand the fact that why one would do cocaine ever right. seeing a doctor or throw yourself into the hospital, you know, and say, hey, I'm going insane. I need help. I think they do like a 30 day, they do 30 day treatments at least, something like that. Yeah. Um, so because of her habit, she had to do the most unthinkable thing, which was pimp herself out. Um, and it was a life far removed from her affluent. So she's from Long Island. So this is not what she normally would do. She used to be a high school cheerleader when she was you know, younger. So he ended up finding her, like I said, on the 26th of December um, in Bayshore, Long Island. He parked near a schoolyard fence and strangled her while she performed oral sex. Discovering she was HIV positive as well. I know. One, yeah. You know, like the first one wasn't good enough for you to, for you to say in your head, let me not do this shit, you know? Sorry. Um, so he found a bottle of AZT in her purse, which I'm not quite sure what that is. Um, he kept, oh, so it's pills, okay. So he kept the pills along with her jewelry and her ID as souvenirs of his kill. So back at the landscaping lot, Rifkin stuffed her into the oil drum, drove her body to Brooklyn, dropped it into Coney Island Creek. She was later found by a fisherman on July 11th, 1992, two months before her, her family had filed a missing person report on her, which is crazy. Uh, yeah. Um, then on January 2nd, in 1992, he decides 
to go for his oldest victim, Mary Ann Holloman. She was 89 years old. I mean, not 89, uh, whew, sorry, 39 years old. Um, and she, she was an addict who sold personalized G-strings for strippers when she wasn't working the streets. So she was basically a seamstress for the strippers and she was a, pro a prostitute and also had a drug addiction to supply her needs. Now, poor child, Rifkin drove her to the same parking lot where he had taken Young Lee and strangled her during, like, during the oral sex again. Um, later, he recalled the act as very automatic and there was not much with, it was just, everything was just automatically, you know, there it is, pow, 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 you know? Um, he followed the same disposal procedure as um, Orvieto's um, case. So back to Long Island, the oil drum and Coney Island Creek. An anonymous caller reported Holloman's floating remains to police on July 9th, 1992, two days before Orvieto's body's was, body was found. So unlike uh, Holloman was identified from her dental records and returned to her family for burial. So that's a good thing, you know? Um, two floaters in, in as many days suggest that a serial killer was at large. But New York police, they had their hands full with 2,000 murders a year back in those days. So a junk, to them, a junkie prostitute was not a hard priority. It was like, okay, whatever, you know, we'll put you to the side. Um, I think they also used to call them, um, if it was a prostitute that was dead, um, no animals involved. And I, I find that like, that's so disrespectful. Very disrespectful. Um, so victim number nine, we don't know her name, um, but this happened back in 1992. Um, so ironically, she surfaced before seven and eight. So victim number nine was found prior to wow. Orvieta's and Holland's body. Um, he was vague about her, her details. Um, uh, so he couldn't recall her name, um, if, if he even knew it, you know. He remembers she had a tattoo um, and he picked her up in Manhattan and the way she fought for life when he began to strangle her. She followed Mary Holland sometime that winter with the dismembering remains consi consigned to the last of Rifkin's oil drum. He dropped her into Brooklyn's Newtown Creek where she was spotted floating with a current foot protruding from the rusty barrel on May 13th, 1992. So it's like, what the French dude? 
Like seriously. Um, so the, the cocaine was in her system prompted detectives to brand her a drug mule. So because she had cocaine with her, um, they thought she was, she was killed by, you know, um, by drug lords um, and, right. you know, something gone wrong kind of ordeal. Um, because they also found a ruptured drug fill um, condom in her stomach. So that kind of threw everybody for a loop and helped Griffin out in a long run, you know? Um, so the police learned their mistake a year later. A year later, they'll learn how stupid they were. Just saying it that way, you know? How yeah. So when Rifkin confessed to her slaying, but number nine remained anonymous. Um, they later called her Jane Doe, as they always do with unknown victims. Um, Rifkin went back to school later. So after he killed her, he decided he's gonna go back to school in 1992, taking uncredited classes at SUNY um, Flamingo, Farmingdale, sorry. His land, his landscape business that remember I told you he was he had started to fold by then. So the landlord claimed he had 700 of overdue rent that he needed to get paid. Um, so as before, Joe cut most of his classes, focusing most of his time on repairing his truck, renting porn, and going out looking for prostitutes. So we're gonna go to number 10 now. So Iris Sanchez, she's a 25 years old um, addict. She worked at First Avenue um, on the Mother's Day weekend. So Rifkin was AWOL from his part-time job um, in the East Meadow um, liquor store. And he was deciding he was gonna go look for some trouble. He picked up Sanchez um, in broad daylight, driving her to Manhattan, to a Manhattan housing project down where Macy's, Macy's has their four for their fireworks. Okay. Strangling Sanchez um, during sex, he drove her corpse across the Brooklyn Bridge, seeking a drop boat, uh, a place to dispose of her. Right. Site he chose was an illegal dump. So 200 feet from Rockway Boulevard, um, within sight of JFK International Airport, Rifkin wedged her body underneath a rotting mattress. Um, first, re relieving Sanchez of her her watch, her other jewelries. Um, she was not found until June 1993 when Rifkin drew a map to say where she was. Oh, geez. Yeah. So then let's keep going. So May 25th, 1992, Anna Lopez. Do you guys see this kind of like thing that he has where it's either a white girl, an Asian, or a Latina? Yeah. It's like... 
There's a look that he's looking for. Yeah, that's so at age 33, Anna um, Lopez had three children from three different fathers, which does not make her anything bad. Just saying, putting it out there. Um, it happens, trust me. Um, but here's the thing. She worked the streets primarily um, to feed her cocaine addiction. So I don't know if she had a job where that job was what paid everything else off for her and her kids. And then the prostitution was um, for her own little habit. I don't know exactly. Um, so Rifkin found her on May 25th, Memorial Day, working Atlantic Avenue in Queens. He retired to a nearby residence street for sex. Uh, after strangling Lopez in his car, Rifkin drove through the night to Brewster um, in Putnam County and dumped her corpse along I-84. Um, a motorist stopped to relieve himself, found Lopez the next day. Um, she was missing one earring, which was later found in Rifkin's bedroom stash. Which I'm like, dude, you should. You, why? Why would you bring this stuff back to your house? You know. So moving on, Violet O'Neill. She was 21 years old. Um, she was actually the first victim he ever took back home. Um, in a year time lapse. Um, so he picked her up in the city. He strangled her after sex um, in his mom's house, dismembered her, her body in the bathtub. And I'm saying it's so nonchalant. What the heck is wrong with me? Um, Rifkin cons consigned her remains to the waters surrounding um, Manhattan. So basically after dismembering her, he would he threw her body along any little bodies of water in Manhattan. Her torso, her torso was found in the Hudson River, wrapped up in black plastic bags, while her arms and her legs were found in a discarded suitcase. Um, so, yeah. Um, then, number 13. So, she was actually 10 years older than O'Neill, um, and she was, her name is Mary Kath, Catherine Williams. Now she was, she used to be a high school homecoming queen, the college cheerleader um, in her hometown of North Carolina, the home state of North Carolina. She married a pro football player in 1986 and then they divorced the following year. So she came to New York in search of an acting career and instead wound up doing drugs and living on the streets. Um, so Rifkin had dated William twice and it enjoyed a great time with her uh, before he finally picked her up on October 2nd, 1992. He brought Williams a fix that night, um, then tried to choke her when she dozed off in his mother's car. She woke up fighting for her life 
kicking the gear shift hard enough to snap it off before Joel smothered her. After a struggle to get the car started and moving, Rifkin drove Williams to Yorktown, uh, a Westchester suburb, um, where she was found on December 21st, 1992. Um, he kept her credit cards, um, her wicker handbag filled with the costume jewelry. So much of the fact is that the mount would briefly cause the type to inflate his body count. Um, so it was like, dude, why? You know, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. Would fill another nameless um, grave um, until, so because they didn't know who she was, they, they gave her the same thing, you know, the grave without um, a name until he later on stated that this was her name, this is who she was, you know? Um, she was actually found six months after her murder. Uh, wow. So, yeah. In 1992, this is where he meets Jenny Soto. Now, Jenny Soto um, would be his last victim of 1992, okay? So, she was a 23-years-old addict who, unfortunately, um, she had many trips to try to get clean. You know, like, I guess she wanted to get clean, but she right. could never get, you know, that turn for her. Um, Rifkin picked her up at about 11 p.m. on November 16th um, near Williamsburg Bridge in Lower Manhattan. He strangled her in his pickup after sex, um, and she actually proved to be his toughest one to kill. Like, girl was not going down without a fight. Um, he said he ended up breaking, because of the fight that they were having, he ended up breaking her 10 fingernails as she was clawing at his face. Um, so, winded by the battle, Rifkin claimed, claimed her bra and panty, earrings, ID card, and drug syringe as his trophies. Um, he rode Soto into the Harlem River near the spot where young Lee had been found 14 months earlier. Um, he discovered, and she was discovered actually the next day, um, Soto was identified from fingerprints um, records from her latest, her last arrest that she ended up having. Um, police initially suspected um, her ex-con boyfriend um, as the murderer, Soto's Grimm's fight for life gave Rifkin pause. Like, this made him be like, oh, shoot, I got to stop. One, how am I going to explain these marks on my face, you know, and my neck? Can't do that. Um, so her slaying gave him uh, his own frenzy, a like acceleration period, and left him with embarrassing wounds to have to explain. So like I said, he needed to pause. These are marks that he needs to make sure that they go away, you know? Um, so Joel would not strike again for 15 weeks. And when he did, he would take better care 
to hide his track. So let's move it on forward to number 15. So February 27, 1993, Lee Evans was a 28-years-old who lived with her mother in Brooklyn. Um, so she was abandoned by the father of her two children. Evans found basically like a comfort with um, the drugs and working the streets to keep herself, I guess, sane in a way. Um, Robin found her tricking on February 27, 1993, stopping for sex in an abandoned parking lot. Evans started to undress, then Blake um, demanding greater privacy. So, which I'm just like, wait, what? Well, you want privacy? Okay. So Rifkin refused, strangling her when she started to cry. Afterwards, he drove Evans to a far, um, far eastern end of Long Island and buried her in the woods. Now, she was the only body that any person, any victim that he had buried. We don't know exactly why he buried her. Maybe it was a sign of remorse. Maybe. I don't know. The guy's arranged, my opinion. Um, so... Uh, he buried her in the woods and only one of his victims like I said he would end up doing um, a shallow grave for the hikers hikers found her on May 9th after they spied a withered hand protruding from the ground um, the forensic and anthropologist was hired to reconstruct the, her face but Rifkin confessed before the model was finished so police found Evans' driver's license at his home. Like I said, he takes, you know, trophies with him. Yeah. So then we're going to go to April 2nd, 1993 with Lauren Marquez. So she was a 28 years old addict and prostitute, hooked on drugs before she left her native state, state of Tennessee. Um, so Rifkin picked her up and when... She was working on 2nd Avenue. Um, they drove to a point near the Manhattan Bridge. Rifkin clutched at her her throat without the, without the usual preliminaries. So instead of waiting to, you know, start having some oral sex or anything like that, he just, I'm going for it. I'm going to kill you. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, distracted by a man who passed the car walking a dog, she almost was able to escape. And he was gonna almost let her escape, you know, because of that. So she fought him and she ended up resisting his strangulation until he snapped her neck. Um, Rifkin dumped her body um, in the Suffolk County Pine Barrens where she laid undiscovered until his arrest. So besides a broken neck, Marquise fractured her, had fractured ribs, um, though he claims he don't remember hitting her. So we don't know how that part is found. She was identified through her DNA test on August 20, 1993. So let's go ahead to our last, but the most awesome victim we can have. Even in death, this woman was like, I'm going to get your ass. You take my life, I'm taking yours. 
No more freedom for you. I can't say the word, but you know what I'm going to say. Um, so on June 24th, 1993, Tiffany Bresciens? I can't say her name right, but we're going to call her Tiffany. So she was another Southern girl from, you know, around that Tennessee area. Um, actually, she was actually from Louisiana. Um, and she was drawn to the New York life. You know, everybody has the aspirations for being an actor or being a dancer. So, but instead, she wanted up being hooked onto heroin and she would perform for strangers in strip clubs and being a prostitute as well. Um, by the time Rifkin found her, um, it was in the pre-dawn hours of June 24th. So she was his second hooker for the night um, and his fourth within two days. So you doing two or two? How the heck do you? Never mind. We ain't going there. Don't go there, Sam. Um, so basically, I can't deal with this dude. Rifkin picked up her, picked her up on Allen Street and drove her to the New York Post parking lot, where he strangled her at 5:30 a.m. From there, he drove back to East Meadow, stopping at stores along the way for rope and tarp. So by the time but, and she was laid in the backseat of his mother's car. So by the time he got home, she was already wrapped up in the tarp um, and concealed in the trunk. So I guess in one of his stops, he wrapped her up, put her in the trunk so that way no one would know. Um, but when he got home, his mom was like, I want my car keys. I want to go. Bye. So she did a 30-minute shopping trip. And she did this while the while Tiffany was in the trunk. Now she came back. And no one knew that Tiffany was, except for Rifkin, was that Tiffany was still in the trunk. You know? Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you, how do you drive? And listen, whenever I do shopping, my, my crap that I buy, I throw it in the trunk. You know? Unless it's something fragile yeah. And I'll put it in my in the seats. But and, you know, yeah. I throw in the trunk, you know. So, yeah. um, so Rifkin had no time to move her body, but like I said, the mom didn't even know that Tiffany was there, you know. So with that, he ended up starting having an anxiety attack because of it. So he. Tiffany um, into the cluttered garage, um, leaving her body in a wheelbarrow. Now, I'm sorry. Can we all remember what June feels like in New York? It's ah. hot, sweltering, you know? And you put her in a wheelbarrow in your garage that's not, you know, yeah. vented to kind of like, whoo, really? So, um, then as if, you know, he had any more times, he spent the next three days working on his pickup. 
are, are you dumb, dude? Like, really? Why would you work on your pickup instead of get rid of the body? But like I said, Tiffany was a smart cookie. She's going to cost him. He's not thinking right. He has too much confidence. Um, so with ignoring the fact that the summer was like really hot um, and he had a decomposing body in the garage, it was like more on status for him. So he was on his way to dump her corpse in Melville, Melville's uh, Republic Airport, about like 15 miles from his house. Um, when, get this, two lovely troopers pulled him over. But guess what? Guess what? Boy didn't have his rear plates. <laughs> So with him not having his rear plates, guess what happened? They stopped him. So when they stopped him, they automatically got the whiff of, whoo, sir, I need you to open your trunk. Yes, he was arrested. Um, so just kind of like a quick thing. He got, he was arrested um, for all these, these counts. Um, and I'll read the counts out to you. So he was arrested. Oh, my eyes. He was found guilty for the night, for nine murders in 1904 and sentenced to 203 years to life which they're saying that he would probably be eligible for parole in 2097 when who the heck lives up to 238 years old? Who? Um, but also here's a, the thing is that in one of his cases, he tried to use um, that he had, he was, he was not guilty due to his mental illness of being depressed, depressed, um, and then in another, in another case, um, I think it was in Tiffany's case, he tried to play the adoption claim. So back then, at that age, at that time, there was this popularity of if you were adopted, you were most likely to commit a crime and be a felon somehow. Which is a bunch of baloney because that that should not have anything to do with it. He was raised with love, you know, maybe strict, but still with love. You know, he was given and like, dude, who the heck lives with their parents that elite in their age? No one, you know. So yeah, um, so he in one of in the first jail he was at, um, and I'm not gonna go into full details about that part. I just wanted to make sure you understood about the murders. Um, maybe if you want and you and you want to go into that depth, you can. Um, but his first jail, he ended up getting into a scuffle with another inmate and it got him transferred to Clinton um, jail, to Clinton prison. Um, and then 
at a certain, at a, I think for four years, he was put in solitary confinement because he was getting threats um, because somehow it was leaked that he was HIV positive, which it wasn't. It was just because of the two victims that were HIV positive. So they assumed automatically he had to have gotten it. Um, so for his protection, they put him in solitary confinement, which he tried to make a claim um, against the county about that, saying that was unlawful to keep him locked up um, and against his whatever. I don't fucking care because at the end of the day, you could be locked in solitude for the rest of your fucking life because, oh, I am so sorry. I am cursing. This dude made me just mad. <laughs> you, he killed 17 people. 17 beautiful women, no matter what they did as a job and no matter what their addiction was, they had family. Some of them had husbands, ex-husbands. Some of them had kids. And he not one moment thought, who does this person belong to? Who, who does this person life consist of? You know, so... Yes, when he was younger, I felt like, oh, my God, poor guy, you're being bullied. You know, poor yeah. guy, you couldn't even have that relationship experience. But that just flew out the window when you're just like, packety, 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 killing people from left and right for no reason. You know? Yeah. 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 Right. I, uh... When I started reading this case, I definitely start. I felt sorry for him at the beginning, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, he it's it's just crazy. Um, Seventeen women. Um, I can't believe that he actually helped the police identify in air quotes for them because they know them. The way he he mutilated body and started throwing them all over the place was kind of, they couldn't piece them back together because the way he got rid of them. Um, so that was, I'm like, well, you kind of want to go to jail now because you're helping the police. Like, those four, if you would have not said nothing, they probably wouldn't have got you, you know, arrested or imprisoned for it. Um, yeah. Of course, the, the Ripkins adopted father um, committing suicide, I can understand that part of it. Um, what, what surprised me um, from the beginning, and I have kind of like points, bullet points, he had the lowest grades in school, but he had the highest IQ, or one of the highest IQs, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I kind of looked um, the movie up Frenzy a little bit, and it's kind of, I think that's where he got his strangulation from. Mm -hmm. angry women from that movie um a personal um <clears throat> bullet point for me he went to school to um he went to the university state university of new york at Brockport. that's where my youngest son is now which is kind of ironic and weird but okay <laughs> um yeah oh um the howitzer artillery show that was the first case yeah, that's a ninety. Yeah. That's a ninety-five pound bullet uh, that the tanks shoot out of. 
you know, you, you put that bullet in, in the tank to shoot. The shell, yeah. well, the shell itself weighs 95 pounds. So I looked that up while you were talking about that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it just, and I, I still can't, I still can't believe the patrolman that stopped them but didn't arrest them. That blew my mind. Like you had them, you had them at like I think it was six or seven. Yeah, you could have stopped the other eight or nine that followed. But oh, and the AZT with anti-HIV medicine. That's right, A AZT um, pills were. So I guess you went to a doctor. Or somebody gave them to her. I'm not sure. You know. Yeah, I mean, this case was ridiculous. I'm sick over it, and I'm not really talking much more about it. How about that? <laughs> so here's the thing, though. Some people say that there might have been more, but he decided to stop talking. Um, now, here's the thing. This is what I, also, I just also remembered, was that in his, when he was confessing to the cops, um, at first he was, he he later tried to say that during the confession he would ask for his lawyer and that the the police said well if you give us a little more information we'll let you have your we'll we'll bring your lawyer in and the cops were like no that's not how this went he no. we kept telling him do you, we think you need your lawyer. Do you want your lawyer? And he kept saying no and kept on discussing the case. So my ordeal is if you're discussing what you did, even after the cops are saying, hey, um, you want your lawyer? Yeah. Listen, first of all, anytime a cop arrests you and you know, okay, listen, I was found with that freaking body. One, I need to say, I didn't know about it get myself yeah. kind of out of there, you know? Yeah. And then say, I want my lawyer. Because after yeah. that, shuts everything down and yeah. they can't ask you any more questions. Right. There's a theme, though. Yeah. I think in the back of, in the back of his mind, now, once again, my opinion, in the back of his mind, this was kind of like, an outlet like he needed to say what he did um as a peace of mind you know and he later on when um in jail he later on goes on and says how i guess he felt he starts to be like you know he wanted to make a movie if i'm right or some kind of um facility for prostitutes so that way they can get off the street and make a little, and he wants to make a video of like what to avoid for them as like a sign of, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm an ex who doesn't know, you know, how to behave. Not even the word. Listen, yeah. is, fantasy is supposed to be fantasy. It's never supposed to interact with the real world. Yeah. And fantasy land don't bring yeah. it to the, your real world because this is what's going to happen you know yeah. it's it's suspicious well there's a couple of things that um the the late the 80s through 90s um 
anybody that lived at that time knows that HIV was a big epidemic. Um, prostitutes was a big thing back in that day. And of course they got any Southern girl that came to New York was like the most beautiful thing ever because we're not used to seeing anything, you know. So that's why at least I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't that old at that time. But as far as I understood, Southern women were so gorgeous to us New Yorkers that that's, that's why they tried to get them on um, heroin and coke and all that stuff so they can become prostitutes because that was the only way to go. So, and then lastly, when, um, when you said about the, in 1987, he was 28 years old. So he technically didn't have to mention anything to his parents because it wasn't like he was 17 or 18 when they would call the parents in. And I guess the newspaper uh, people were not doing a great job because I would have posted that all over my newspaper if it was me back then. So, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. So this was the case of Joe Rifkin. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed our voices. Let me go there. <laughs> enjoyed our voices. Um, so if you liked it, follow us, listen, you know, um, support us in this. Um, all you gotta do is just listen to it, you know, be there. Um, we are on Spotify. Um, we are on SoundCloud. We are on Google Podcasts. Um, and we're a few others. I don't just... Anchor. Huh? Anchor. Yeah, we're on Anchor as well. Oh, and Spreaker. Um, so if you want to listen to us, we're going to add our links down below. Um or in the description box. So that way you can be able to go ahead and follow us on whichever site is more reasonable for you. Um, so you wanna listen to us, okay? So hope you like it. We'll see you next week with another story, another true crime. And this yes. is Sammy. And then you will. Discussing true crime. Bye. Bye-bye.